0: welcome to the hard skills podcast and show with me, Dr. Mira Bronku. I work with leaders in healthcare research, STEM, and other technical fields who want to develop an authentic leadership identity and create a healthy, inclusive workplace environment to retain the best people doing their best work. In other words, developing the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. Now, this season, we've been exploring the first stage of my strategic leadership pathway model, Facing Uncertainty. And today, we're talking with Dr. Stephanie Mockler about navigating leadership role changes during uncertain times. Now, remember, we value evidence-based practical solutions here. She is great for that. I don't want you watching or listening to this show passively. I want you ready to reflect, take notes. I always do and identify at least one small step to further develop your hard skills muscle. Now, before I formally introduce Stephanie, this is a reminder that today is the last day to apply to be a founding member of the Tower Scope Leadership Academy. The last day, folks, we're seeking 15 founding members we've been accepting as we go along for those who are a good fit. This is for a nine week mini version, a beta test, for all of you to learn, grow, give us feedback. Don't wait until the last minute of today because we only have a few interview spots left. And as a reminder, Towerscope Leadership Academy is the next step in our social impact vision. It's an affordable, accessible leadership development option for women in healthcare, academia, and STEM. It's gender inclusive but women centered, meaning, We include discussions about the lived experiences of women in leadership and how we can be allies on that journey. If you are watching us live or seeing this recording a little bit later, you might notice I have a QR code right here that you can click on and go straight to the website to learn more. Or um, if you're listening, you can go to www.gotowerscope.com. Okay, let me introduce. Dr. Stephanie Mockler, who by the way has her own QR code and we're gonna find out a little bit more what that is. She is an organizational development psychologist and the president and co founder of the Violet Group and the Violet Collective. The Violet Group is a leadership consulting firm that helps companies accelerate growth for their people through leadership development programs, curated and customized training, 360 degree assessments, and executive coaching. The Violet Collective is a growing community of ambitious, career-oriented women looking to elevate their impact, expand their skills, and thrive in their work and personal lives. It's currently in development, folks. It will open its doors in early uh, 2024. So please make sure you follow them to see when this opens. Um, Stephanie takes an evidence-based scientific approach leadership consulting and coaching and team development. And she's developed this deep expertise in helping technical leaders build strong people leadership capabilities. Much of her life's work and passion has focused on helping women and underrepresented groups own their voice, navigate career transitions, and elevate into leadership and decision-making roles. So you can already tell why she and I connect, right? What, we, what she and I have in common. I met Stephanie through the American Psychological Association Society of Consulting Psychologists, and we quickly identified an affinity to two things, helping psychologists understand how to build a business through branding and marketing, and helping women in leadership navigate career decisions, roles, and organizational barriers. And we've spoken on these topics together multiple times, but we've taken different complementary paths related to these areas. So I'm super excited to introduce her to you so that she can share her own perspective on all of these and much, much more. So welcome, Stephanie. Glad to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Mira. I'm thrilled to be here and I could not agree more that we uh, just, I think have so much overlap, but complementary overlap in all the work that we do. And I strongly believe in collaboration over competition. So I'm excited to Continue to support you and collaborate with you too. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, Stephanie is one of
0: those people that I just love to keep in my orbit because she is a woman who has the same interests, same aspirations, or similar. Mm-hmm. Um, But she is not interested in competing with anybody. She owns her lane, you know, she owns her voice, her own power, and she's not worried about, you know, um, what that means for um, you know, um her relationships. And that makes it so amazing to collaborate, right? Mm-hmm. Like then we could just like support each other, and amplify. So like it's yeah. it's um this is this is what I'm hoping to continue developing in our own, you know, um unique communities that we're developing these kind of experiences and um community um environments, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um Stephanie, I would love to start with helping people get to know a little bit about you um, and your career and leadership path, because I think it's really interesting. You you actually started out with what I think are um, some strikes against you. And um, you know, then a meteoric rise uh, in, in leadership experiences uh, and past organizations venturing out um, on your own up, up, up until this point. I would love for you to share your journey with other people, how you navigated these experiences in your, um, you know, personal and career uh, uh, journey.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, when I was preparing some of my thoughts for this conversation, Mira, I kept coming back to how much of my own personal experience really drives how I coach and advise the leaders that I support. My My journey really starts actually when I was a teenager, I had my son uh, when I was still in high school. And that led me to pretty quickly kind of pivot and get really focused on what I wanted. I had to really manage my time quite ruthlessly, actually, right? I still was finishing school. I had a a baby at a really young age, still a child myself, you might say. And um, that led me to really start to kind of open my eyes to some of what society says about uh, women in particular and mothers as well, when I uh, went into undergrad, I was studying all sorts of uh, all sorts of topics. It took me a little while to figure out exactly what I wanted to do. My journey was a bit windy, but I found psychology in my fifth year of undergrad, and I knew I wanted to go into a graduate program and get an advanced education. And I kept getting messages from people pretty directly, uh, that I might not be able to do it because I had these family responsibilities and I had a son at home and I got questions like, well, are you sure you want to go to a rigorous program in Chicago Mm -hmm. when you live in Northwest Indiana and you have a son here who, who's going to take care of your son? And I have a partner, we've been together for 22 years. He, uh, was right there alongside me taking care of my son too, but he never got those sorts of questions when he was trying to figure out what he wanted. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. So that shaped a lot of my focus today and getting into not only IO psychology, but leadership development and really wanting to support women and continue to push back against these messages that a lot of us unfortunately receive.
0: Yeah, and for those of you who are not familiar, IO psychology is
1: industrial organizational psychology and in short it is the application of psychological theory and behavior to the workplace to help create workplaces where people can thrive.
0: Thank you thank you okay so um you got through you you decided I'm not I'm not listening to these messages you know I'm listening to um where my interests go go for go go you good for you and so how did you? um, then end up in the leadership roles that you did. Tell us a yeah. little bit
1: about your leadership journey and navigating that. Yeah. Funnily enough, those messages actually just propelled me even further. They yes. led a, bit of a fire <laughs> under <laughs> me. And I, I always have have gravitated toward leadership roles, even when I played sports. And when I was growing up, I always found myself kind of coordinating efforts or wanting to be one that was in charge. My family calls me a bit of a control freak. So I just have a lot of opinions and perspectives on um, you know, how things could be run and, and I'm comfortable putting myself out there in that way. So I got an internship when I was in my PhD program for IO psychology in the leadership consulting space. At that point, I didn't really even know anything about leadership consulting. I hadn't considered it as a career path. But I was just putting my feelers out there to get some applied experience. And I fell in love for a couple of reasons. One was I realized that if I wanted to continue to have a positive impact for women at work, a really good way to do that is through working with the leaders who are making decisions and uh, putting policies in place and leading organizations because you can drive change through them. And then, second, it allowed me to tap into one of my values, which is just Giving back, helping people. I really like to create space where people can talk through their challenges, get support, and I love seeing that light bulb moment for people when they realize, "Oh gosh, you're you're right. I could do something differently." So that's how I started in the leadership space, and I just tried to grab onto any challenge that I saw, and I would see a gap, and I would say, "You know what? I think we should develop a solution for this. I'll pull a team together. Let's start testing out uh, some new." solutions to offer our clients. And that led me to take on increasing leadership responsibility over the years.
0: Great, great. So um, you've seen your own sort of role changes, but you've also had um, you know, this opportunity to see a wide variety of leaders in lots of different contexts go through their own sort of role change challenges. And when you and I were talking about like, what, what should we focus on related to navigating role changes, you identified um, kind of three specific uh, target areas that you've seen as uh, challenges. You indicated uh, subject matter experts to people leader, right? You indicated managing a small team to leading other managers. And then you also said specialized technical lead to generalist. Mm -hmm. Why are these sort of challenges? What, What makes them challenging?
1: Yes. These are, I think, the transitions that people go through in their career that require them to really rethink how they're spending their time, what they value, what solid performance looks like, and what success looks like. And I've coached a lot of leaders through this, or professionals through this. And I think a big challenge that they face is having to Uh, Completely shift their mindset with regard to how they're approaching their work. And there's a whole cascade of challenges that comes along with that.
0: Interesting. Okay. I want to dig really deep into this mindset shift. What is it that they're going through? But before then, we are nearing a brief ad break. You're listening to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Branku, and our guest, Dr. Stephanie Motler. The Hard Skills airs live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. If you'd like to join us online right now and ask questions that we can answer in real time, you can find us on LinkedIn or YouTube at talkradio.nyc, and we'll be back with our guests in just a moment. are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. who host of The Hard Skills, on talkradio.nyc at 1 p.m. Eastern on Fridays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc
2: what really drives success in business introducing intangify the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth i'm matthew aswell your host and an attorney focused on innovation join me fridays at noon eastern to discover how innovation culture and other intangibles shape thriving companies from the startups to established businesses we'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential tune in live on talkradio.nyc fridays at noon eastern and intangify your business today
3: Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
0: Welcome, welcome back. Um, if you have been with us right now live, our production assistant had a near mild panic attack because we had some um, app difficulties with the, the radio station. It crashed, had to turn it back up, volume mixer, all the things, but everything's back to normal. This is just par for the course when you're on a live radio.
1: <laughs> Navigating uncertainty. That's right.
0: Navigating uncertainty every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. (laughs)
1: Live lessons with
0: (laughs) in the moment lessons. Yeah. Um, Okay. Where we left off is that um, there are certain stages of growth within um, leadership development, especially um, things like subject matter expert to people leader managing a small team to leading other managers and specialized technical lead to generalists meeting to drive results for an organization. And you indicated that one of the sort of challenges, the reason that these sort of um, uh, spaces between um, certain levels of growth within uh, leadership is associated with mindset shifts. Um, I'd love to hear more about what are those mindset shifts that people experience during those
1: transitions of their leadership roles? Absolutely. So I'll start with subject matter expert to manager as, as the first sort of rung that people have to make some mindset shifts around. And if you think about what makes a subject matter expert really successful in the workplace, it's usually that they're able to achieve really high quality results, they're utilizing their expertise to get things done, to add value, their performance is probably measured based on how much they can produce, how much they can fix, the code that they can push out, if you think of someone like a software engineer. And then when they're asked to make that shift to leading people and leading a team, all those things change, uh, sometimes immediately without much support or guidance, and the mindset shifts that people have to make then are what does performance look like when you're not necessarily fingers on keyboard pushing out code as a software engineer, but you are now having to guide and manage others who are actually the technical experts? And that takes a lot of reflection and, and kind of effort to still feel successful and productive in your role when you're no longer the one who's doing all the work and getting the kudos for that. And you're being evaluated against a different set of, of metrics.
4: Mm. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I like how you um, put it in the context of what um, you, how you need to perform and what's being evaluated um, in terms of that next role is very different than, than how it was before. Would you apply that to the other experience, those other like two types of, transitions or do you see something different with them?
1: I would I think it just it gets a bit more intense as you take on more leadership responsibility. So a lot of the managers I support who are working with individual contributors on their team still probably are doing some of the work themselves so they're often player coaches right they're they're kind of still in the game and they're coaching their team And then that next level up when they start to manage other managers, Actually requires them to step back from the details and the doing of the work, sometimes completely or just even more fully. And I see a lot of people struggle with figuring out, well, where do I spend my time? How do I, uh, how do I ma- navigate my schedule? Wh- what should I be doing? You know, you you should be spending time with your team rather than spending time, you know, doing the work. And those sorts of things are. Foreign sometimes to people who have spent a lot of years honing their skills and probably being pretty proud of the skill set that they've developed as an expert.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like the term player coaches you gave to this, that they're still doing the work. Um, I have had many experiences of talking with leaders at this stage, and their challenge seems to be that they have a very hard time letting go of their, the work, doing the work, executing the work um, partly because they um, have honed the craft so well, they know that they could do it faster and quote unquote better. (laughs) Um, And, or they don't want to take the time to train others up, to coach others up into it. Um, I'm wondering if that's part of what you see and if there's anything else that makes this um, especially challenging to be able to sort of let go and move into that next stage.
1: I absolutely agree. I think it requires people to build a different set of skills and muscles, even to the point you made around needing to let go requires people to demonstrate a lot of restraint, right? They could jump right in and probably solve a problem or tackle an issue, as you said, really quickly However, then they're likely uh, diminishing their team's potential and not allowing their team to learn those skills. So uh, just a very tangible example, I would typically coach a leader in that scenario to, you might see the, the problem come through your inbox or through your Slack, whatever you're using. And then you have to actually pause, pull yourself back and ask, who on my team should be doing this? And how can I then support them rather than diving into it. And I've experienced this myself as well as I've grown my own leadership skills. And it is not easy. It's not easy.
0: It isn't easy. And demonstrating restraint, that's, that's also like a self-regulation thing. Like the um, excitement you get when you know the answer to something and you can solve it is hard not to jump into like the allure of solving the problem when you love you got into your job because you like solving problems, right? As a subject matter expert, you're a subject matter expert because you love solving a specific kind of problem. And now at this higher leadership role, you're like, wait, I can't solve the problems I love to solve directly by myself. How do I let that go?
1: Yeah. And it feels good. You said the allure, I would say it's even seductive, right? It feels It feels productive when you're able to jump in and solve those problems. And you do have to learn how to build that restraint muscle so that you can actually acknowledge in the moment that you should not necessarily be jumping in on that. And I think that's one of the more difficult muscles to build for a lot of the leaders that I've worked with, because many have spent 10 years uh, being measured against their ability to respond quickly, solve a problem quickly, jump in. And now you're telling them, actually, That no longer matters in this role. In fact, you actually have to learn to not do that anymore. And I sometimes get some looks like, well, okay, how do I do that? I'm so used to this. So there's something about getting out of your comfort zone and learning to reorient the things you pay attention to that's really important here too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, before I sort of dig any further into that, let's take like that next level up. Um, What? Um, what additional challenges do you see there? And are they the same? Are they different? What do you see?
1: Some of them are similar, but heightened. And I think, but the thing that comes into play for leaders who are more at the executive level is that now they're having to manage relationships across the business, especially in larger companies. There's a lot of complexity that starts to come into their day-to-day. The problems that they're solving are bigger, often cross-functional, and the relationships and the network that they cultivate starts to become a whole lot more important than it was at some of those earlier stages of leadership. Relationships are always important, but the relationships themselves, I think, become bigger, broader, and, and sometimes harder to tackle. A lot of the leaders at that level are also then having to navigate an external set of relationships. Uh, they might be managing vendors. They might be uh, you know, engaging with other companies. And, and that's a new skill set that I'm often help, helping leaders develop at that level too.
0: Yeah. So what is the mindset shift there? What are they trying to sort of let go of and or adjust in how they think about things?
1: I would put that again in the time management bucket or energy management bucket. I think that what's difficult about cultivating and nurturing relationships is it's very much a long-term play. Right? You you might not feel any immediate satisfaction from spending time building your network of peers day to day, but then 6 months, a year, a couple of years from now, it really does make a difference in your ability to get results, to have the right level of influence at those more senior leader levels. And the mindset shift there, I think, is getting people to get out of the day-to-day, more tactical, short-term mindset and really recognizing that where they're spending their time now is getting them somewhere down the line in the future that they might not even be able to see or it's not quite as tangible.
0: Yeah. I, as you're talking, <laughs> I, I'm almost thinking like this sounds like at every level you're practicing a greater delay of gratification like at the first level, right? Like you can have the cookie right away. <laughs> at The second level, you have to wait two days for the same cookie or you get like three cookies, but you got to wait five days, you know? Yeah. And at like the highest level, well, you can have a cake, but boy, it's going to take like 10 years to get there.
1: <laughs> that is an excellent metaphor that I'm going to borrow. And that is fine, spot- <laughs> right? And you, that's where that restraint comes in as well, because you're constantly having to restrain yourself in a in kind of a bigger bigger way as you take on more more leadership and and it's funny it's i'm making this sound like it's all negative and there's all challenges there's a lot of positive too right of course you have a lot of responsibility and you're impacting people's lives and you can really uh, get really big exciting innovative results at those levels but it is complex and it does require delayed gratification. That's for sure. You
0: know, I was just going to ask like, yeah, um, boy, none of this sounds really all that tempting. Um, So why would, what is compelling for a leader to want to lean into that next level up knowing how much they're going to need to sort of hold off on the, you know, the positive results of their efforts?
1: I'm glad you asked that because I think a key characteristic of being ready for the next level is asking yourself those questions and really understanding why you want it because it does require a lot of effort and time and investment in in professional development. One thing we talk about a lot in the organizational psychology research, if I can put my nerdy hat on for a moment, is realistic job previews. And that helps people essentially decide whether or not they want to come into a company, but it also helps leaders and professionals decide whether or not they want that next role. If someone sits down with them, that could be a coach, a manager, a mentor, and says, here's what it will actually take for you to succeed at this next level. You're succeeding as a director. You want to become a vice president. Here's exactly what you need to do. And that's laying out the good, bad, and the ugly so that they can prepare themselves accordingly and decide if they want it.
0: I love that, I've never heard of that. Um, let's dig in a little bit more into these realistic job previews when we come back. Uh, but now we're reaching another ad break. If you're listening, you're listening to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Branco and our guest, Dr. Stephanie Mockler. We air live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. And if you're online right now and you have some questions, please do feel free to ask. We will respond in the moment, real time. And you can find us on LinkedIn or YouTube at talkradio.nyc. We'll be right back with our guests in just a moment.
3: Are you passionate about the conversation around racism?
0: Welcome. Welcome back to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Branku, and with my guest, Dr. Stephanie Mockler. Now we've been talking about role changes and navigating them through uncertain times. Up until this point, we've been discussing um, first, what are the sort of typical role changes you see within larger complex organizations um, <clears throat> and the mind shifts required to make those role changes. Um, where we left off is trying to explore the benefits, like why would anybody um, want to put themselves through a greater and greater delay of gratification around um, how they impact an organization and the outcomes and the results that they achieve, uh, knowing that it takes longer at higher levels, right? Um, And you started talking, uh, Stephanie, about realistic job previews and um, why that would be helpful. So can you share a little bit more?
1: Yes. So realistic job previews is essentially the concept that if you can give someone a really realistic and genuine look at what a job is going to entail, it really helps them opt in and select into that role. So this is relevant for, certainly when you're attracting and recruiting people into a role or an organization, but also for a promotion when someone's considering whether they want to take on some increasing responsibility. And so this is something I would advise executives and leaders to be doing for their teams, especially if they have identified someone as a a possible successor or someone is viewed as a high potential and ready to take on more. I think sitting down with them and saying, let me help you understand what it takes to succeed at this next level and beyond, then allows that leader to decide if they're in it, if they want it, because that motivation is really, really key for them being successful.
0: Yeah, I think that's um, really uh, so key, so important. And even you know, when people are in their current role, sometimes they have unrealistic expectations of themselves and others and the organization on on how much, how fast they can sort of make a change or or make an impact. I I've recently had these same conversations with a leader who's struggling with one of their sort of next in line leaders. Um, that they're supervising, uh, because that person isn't sort of, um, you know, living up to the sort of expectations of the role. They had something different in mind, I think. And we talk a lot about, um, can you create uh, almost like a, you know, Maslow's hierarchy type, like a, a hierarchy of developmental growth goals to reach the point at which they actually want to be at. Because they think they can get here, but it takes all of these other skill sets that they don't necessarily realize are required of this kind of higher level role. Because they leaped too fast from subject matter expert into this higher level role without realizing what it actually takes. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering, uh, you're nodding, so I'm assuming that resonates. You know, like you've seen these kind of deeply,
1: leaders. yes, <laughs> resonates deeply, and it's, I, I think, the best leaders are doing exactly what you're describing with their teams is that they're sitting down and saying, okay, you want this. Let's talk about what it takes. And then let's put together a really strategic and actionable development plan for you so that you can get there. And sometimes that process of giving a realistic preview and putting together a strategic development plan helps someone weed themselves out of the process and or helps the organization weed them out because you need to be able to take that plan own it execute on it demonstrate that you're ready to i think truly step into that next level. Now, that's the ideal and a lot of times we're not operating in an ideal world so that doesn't happen as often as I'd like. That's why our roles exist and why we do what we do. But I think that motivation is really really key. I've coached a lot of leaders who found themselves in a team lead role managing other managers and they kind of stop and and say you know I don't quite know how I got here I was just a really strong performer I had these really strong technical skills and so I kept being you know given more and more and now I'm looking around and actually asking myself do I do I want this and am I even good at this and do I have what it takes and I think I I would like to encourage leaders to start having those conversations much much sooner so that we have fewer people in those positions because it's difficult for them and their teams probably feel it too.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, when you are simply, um, you know, chasing after a role, for example, or, um, just sort of accepting like, oh, I'm good at this. So now I'm in this position. Oh, I'm good at this. So now they put me in this position without really like slowing down to reflect on, is this right for me? You know, is this what I want? Just because you're really great at something doesn't mean you want it and you're willing to you lean into it. It might not be right for you, right? So you mentioned looking at your energy, looking at, you know, um, you know, self-reflecting, self-awareness. There's a lot of ways that we uh, provide assessments for people to better understand themselves and what they should be leaning into and out of, right? Or that kind of thing. Um and in terms of, of um, benefits, going back to benefits again, um, the the folks who, you know, um, w- what kind of folks would want to lean into moving at you know up into these um, different levels of leadership and knowing that it requires a you know different set of skills the hard skills by the way <laughs> these are the hard skills these are the skills that it requires skills that you did not get in your first training right what kind of people lean into that
1: there's a couple things i'd call out one is people who get jazzed up and energized by positively impacting others careers and and giving back i think a lot of leaders get into those roles because they want to coach. They're energized by mentoring others. They they really feel fulfilled when they see their positive impact on other people's career journeys. So that's something I think is a, a characteristic that can drive people to get into leadership, and you can realize those benefits. Another is uh, being willing to run toward the fire, so to speak. I think uh, leaders who going in eyes wide open recognize that they're going to have to lean into complexity they can't run away from it there's going to be a lot of problems that they have to solve that they've probably never tackled before and to some extent i think uh, they need to be energized by that too they want to you know they need to want to have those challenges in their life and be somewhat energized by uh, addressing those challenges the last one i would say is i think uh A benefit that leaders can get is that they can have quite a lot of influence, they could be pretty visible, they're probably going to get access to, uh, you know, powerful people right powerful projects work that that has a lot of meaning and impact and I think the leaders that get into that are excited by that possibility and are willing to lean into that and and put themselves out there in that way as well.
0: Yeah, and. I mean, I especially resonate with the reach and impact, you know, um, and I think you do too, you know, the the potential for greater impact um, at a larger scale than what, you know, you yourself by yourself can put, you know, possibly, um, you know, contribute and, you know, the, the ripple effect that it can create through you into others um, is very compelling these days for people who want to make a difference, you know? Um, so the one thing that I do want to go back to is the firefighting, this second benefit, right. Um, and connecting it to like during uncertain times, what is, um, sort of the additional, what are the additional challenges as well as where folks can fit in. And one of the things that you, um, made me think about when, you know, you said, well, you know, for some people it's leaning into firefighting, you know, it's leaning into going towards the fire, right? What's interesting is I never leaned into uh, firefighting necessarily, but I leaned into putting out the fire a lot. Like I really liked to um, calm the environment. That's That's always been my role is turn chaos into simplicity and calm. And in times of uncertainty, That is sometimes exactly the kind of leader that we need. We don't need somebody spinning things even further out of control and adding even more changes to an ever-changing environment. Sometimes in some environments that are so disrupted, we need somebody um, who likes putting out the fires, not just chasing them (laughs) or creating them, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I'm, I'm curious to hear more about like during times of uncertainty and volatility and change,
4: Mm -hmm.
0: how does that affect these role changes? What are people thinking about? Like, how does that adjust, you know, how you're thinking about supporting leaders as well?
1: Yeah, it's an excellent point you're making, because I think it brings in this, the importance of context and the situation. And some leaders uh, are the leaders you want to bring in when you have a turnaround situation, and you need to drive change, and you need to kind of shake things up and and run toward the fire. And other leaders have a style that's more conducive to steadying the ship and leading, you know, getting people aligned and in the right direction and putting out the fires, as you said. And I think that's another piece that a leader should be exploring both for themselves and their teams, which is in what situation are you best equipped to lead? And in what situation do you think your natural skills really allow you to lead most effectively? And I think that's particularly relevant during uncertainty. And when there's a lot of disruption, I have um, a client that I worked with in the past where I was coaching several of their leaders and they were going through a huge transformation. They had something like a hundred initiatives happening at once. They were hiring really rapidly and bringing a lot of people in and people were just spinning, right? If you envision a top, they're just spinning. They don't know where to go. They don't know where to spend their time on. They're getting mixed messages, my initiative is important. No, their initiative is important, right? And the teams were just uh, really not able to operate, and not only headed toward a state of burnout, but starting to look around and think about what are my other opportunities because I can't last here. And I think the leaders that were able to really help that company and those teams navigate through that intense change and uncertainty were the ones who could steady the ship, who could say, you know, we have a hundred initiatives these 5 are actually the ones that are most important for you to focus on for the next 6 months or a year. The rest you don't need to pay attention to them and then we'll reevaluate as we go. And I think that leadership style is really necessary and helpful in those sorts of situations.
0: Yeah, and by the way, studying the ship does require that, you know, high-level strategic thinking. It's not about tactical thinking anymore. It's exactly what Stephanie said about, you know, um aligning people, supporting people, creating the kind of relationships that create stability um, instead of instability. So all of those skill sets are really ideal to bring in when there's a lot of volatility and change. So we're going to get back to this um, after our next ad break. You're listening to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Branku, and our guest, Dr. Stephanie Mockler. And we'll be right back after this break.
2: What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from the startups to establish businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify, your business today.
0: Welcome back to the hard skills with me, Dr. Mira Branku, and with my guest today, Dr. Stephanie Mockler. Now we've uh, talked a lot about the mindset shifts that are required for leaders um, at different levels of their leadership journey from subject matter expert to people leader, from managing a small team to leading other managers, from specialized technical lead to generalist, driving results and, and the highest stages of an organization's uh, impact as executives, right? And we talked about the benefits and how to navigate um, through those uncertain times. Um, Stephanie, are there any best practice tips or frameworks that you would like people to be thinking about in order to navigate um, these different levels of leadership journeys, especially in uncertain times?
1: Yes, there are a number of tools and frameworks that I bring into my coaching work in particular. Uh, it always depends upon that specific person, of course, and what their unique challenges are. But one that I find myself using uh, very often is a time audit combined with the Eisenhower matrix, which I'm sure you've probably heard of. It it essentially just invites you to look back and audit your time over the course of some time period. Usually it's a month. So I'll have my coaches look back and really track and categorize where they were spending their time and what sorts of meetings were on their calendar, what they were creating space for. And then we take those categories and put them in the Eisenhower matrix, which essentially asks you to categorize tasks and work based on urgency and importance. And that starts to get leaders to think about What you mentioned earlier around, are you operating more tactically or strategically? Are you just putting out all the fires and only focusing on what's urgent and right in front of your face? And also, are you thinking about how you can take some of those activities and delegate them off to the people on your team, allowing them to to truly own some of the tasks that you probably are pretty good at as a leader, but you want to equip your team to be good at too. So that's an exercise I'll take leaders through often. Sometimes it can take a bit of pushing to get them to do that full-time audit because it does take a while, but it can be incredibly eye-opening to look back and realize where you're actually spending your time versus where you'd like to be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This reminds me actually of what I applied to my own business Uh, when I was early on in my own business development. I used Toggle, which is just an app to help me track my time, and um, you know I would put labels on every... Sort of thing that i did and what it revealed to me was um, where i was leaning into doing work that actually i um, should hire an assistant for because it took me away from the work that um, i had ha- the highest level of expertise for and um, based on that it helped me design a um, the right kind of um, uh, position for what i needed when I needed it. And then, you know, every once in a while I would do another sort of like, you know, six month audit of my time. I did a, you know, six months at a time just to understand, um, you know, where I was putting my time. And it really helped me let go of the things I really didn't need to hold on to.
1: Yes. Yes. That, I think that sort of intentional, rigorous process where you're really going deep to identify, where you're spending your time, where you shouldn't be spending your time, what sort of skills and capabilities you need from your team is is really key for anyone, regardless of what level they're at in those, those rungs that we mentioned earlier. I also will have people take some assessments too. Usually I'll encourage a leader to get another assessment at each successive level that they're going through within their career. So personality assessments, leadership style assessments. Really just to get a snapshot of at that time in the situation and context they're in, what are they prioritizing? What's getting in their way? Where might they have some possible derailers or a quote unquote dark side tendencies that they need to manage and learn how to uh, deal with so that they don't get in the way of their success. And that really is just my attempt to hold a mirror up to the leader and say, here's what I'm learning about you. Here's what I think we can do about it. I like to take a really data-driven approach to my coaching engagements and leadership development. So those sorts of assessments allow me to, to do that. Yeah.
0: And by the way, we all have dark sides people.
1: Everyone. So. I have a lot of them. I <laughs> I share those usually with my coaches too to say, you're you're not alone. You don't have issues. We all have these. They help yeah. us cope. That's how yeah. we learn. Exactly. Okay. So.
0: Um, with all of that in mind, tell us what you're up, what you've been up to um, these days to apply these ideas of supporting leaders uh, navigating uncertainty through, um, you know, the Violet Group and the Violet Collective. Yes. And I, while you t- while you share, I'm going to share a little bit about some of these. If you're watching live or the recording, I'm going to show you the, these websites um, as she explains it to us. Okay.
1: Amazing. So I took a big bet on myself, took a big leap and started my own business uh, with a co-founder and team called the Violet Group uh, early this year. And at the Violet Group, we focus on bringing consulting solutions to corporations to help them really accelerate growth for their people. So that includes custom workshops, that includes leadership development programs, there's my amazing team of extraordinary women and we do executive coaching and assessment as well. The Violet Collective is our newly launched community for women. Uh, We are working really hard behind the scenes to design this community and it will be a chock full of resources, curated insights, live learning sessions with myself and my co-founder Dr. Kelly Levin and we'll also be hosting live group coaching sessions as well in this community. So we actually just launched our first wave of testers in the community last night. And I have to say, I didn't really sleep very much because I was so excited and also just kind of in there worried and anxious about all the things that could go wrong, you know, when you're launching something new. Yes. We have big goals for that community and it really taps into something that I'm personally really passionate about, which is helping women and and underrepresented groups really thrive and continue to take on leadership roles. That is
0: super, super exciting. I can't wait to see what you learn from the testers. Um, So what we looked at, if you haven't had a chance to see directly on the the video that we have, um, if you're listening later, it's thevioletgrp.com is the Violet group. And then you can find the Violet Collective on LinkedIn if you enter just that. And on Instagram, it's gonna be the Violet underscore Collective. On Facebook, um, it's actually under the Female Leaders Edge um, because it's been transitioned from a previous branding. Although if you enter the Violet Collective Facebook, which I did into Google, it immediately came up. So it's working Stephanie.
1: (laughs) It's in the process. I think of we, we rebranded for anyone who might find the female leader's edge. That was my platform. I ran for about five years and we rebranded and hopefully things are continuing to work through that rebrand, but that's a good thing to know. It's
0: working. It was easy to Google and find you. So that's good. All right. So let's pull all of this together. We learned a lot of hard skills required to make a greater impact, have greater reach, have a ripple effect at the highest levels in the organization, and at different levels, what that requires, what you know, mindset shifts it requires. Um, and apparently, it's just a lay of gratification. We've decided it's just a lay of gratification is what it comes down to.
1: <laughs> I think I'm going to put a post-it on my screen that just says... Delayed gratification. If if you're focusing on that and you feel like you're doing that, you're probably doing something right. From wait for the cake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't it eat the cookie. You'll get, it, you'll get it in 2025, maybe 2026. <laughs> not now.
0: Exactly. Now that's what we took away. Okay, but what did you take away, audience? And more importantly, what is one small step that you can implement this week, based on what you learned from Stephanie? Share it with us on LinkedIn and at Mira or at talkradio.nyc, and we will cheer you on. We are also on Facebook, you saw Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, all over the place, but LinkedIn is often where we live, as well as Instagram. Um, we are also, The Hard Skills is also now officially on iTunes and Spotify as an official podcast. So if you like this and other shows, please go subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share with others to help us increase our visibility, our reach, and our impact. We want the same sort of goals in mind. What we talk about in this episode is one of many aspects of developing nuanced hard skills needed to become an exceptional leader who can drive significant systemic change to make real impact. As a reminder, don't forget, apply to our Tower Scope Leadership Academy. We're looking for founding members. Today is the last day to apply. And Go to the Violet Group and Violet Collective to find out more about when they're launching in 2024. Join us next Friday, September 29th, with Dr. Jeffrey A. Green, when we'll talk about the knowledge, skills, and dispositions the workforce needs to face an uncertain world. You will not wanna miss this show. There is a big reveal about this special guest. Now, some special language. I'm a clinical psychologist. She's an organizational psychologist. We are coaches. We are not your clinical or organizational psychologists or coaches. If you would like leadership and team development or any of our services, contact us. You could check us out. You found out where our um, websites are. Mine is gotowerscope.com. Submit a request to conduct a free initial assessment from either of us. And thank you to talkradio.nyc for hosting. I'm Dr. Mira branku your host for the hard skills. And thank you Stephanie, for joining us today. Have a great rest of your day, wherever you're tuning in from. You're
2: listening to Talk Radio NYC.
3: Uplift, educate, empower.
0: Are you a high achieving, growth oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Maribrothu, host of The Hard Skills on TalkRadio.nyc at 1 p.m. Eastern on Fridays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to the hard skills on Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc.
2: Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday.